this thing popped off, Casey. I'm putting it in my pocket. <laughs> that That's my daughter, by the way, that was just singing. Great job, Ainsley. Well, let me give you a little bit of introduction of who I am. Uh, my name is Howie Lederfine. I am the youth pastor at Liberty Baptist Church in Ellenboro, North Carolina. For you folks that are residents down here, I am a Columbia, South Carolina native, so I'm kind of a home. I love the beach down here. This is one of my favorite places of all places to come down at the beach is Garden City Chapel. Uh, as Ricky said earlier, I have been coming here since I was a young teenager. I think my first time here was probably around... 1980 or 81, and my first memory of the chapel was standing in front of Calhoun. I think it was pretty much a new building right at that time, but that was my first memory and been coming here ever since, been bringing groups for quite a long time. Yes, I am an old youth pastor, but I'm okay with that because this is what God has called me to, and until he changes that order, I will keep doing it. Well, today I want to uh, share with you from Acts chapter 17. That's where we're going to be. So if you want to put your finger there, you can. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. But before I get there, uh, I want to just ask you a question. And I'm going to follow it up with a little example. Are you a fact checker? Are you a fact checker? Today's technology that you have in the palm of your hand at your disposal makes fact-checking almost instantaneous. You know, everybody has a phone in their hand or an iPad. Um, in fact, my own teenagers and my own daughter and son, they have fact-checked me on things. And so it's right there in our hands. You see, y'all have something today, or we have something today, I should say, known as the World Wide Web, okay, WWW, if you didn't know what that stands for when you type it in, World Wide Web, but when I was a teenager, we didn't have WWW, there was no internet when I was a teenager, there was no internet when I started in youth ministry, that'll give you a little idea of how long I've been doing it, there were no cell phones, we had beepers, okay, but we did have something called the WBE. Does anybody know what that is? World Book Encyclopedia. There was no going, oh, no, 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 that's not right. No. If we wanted to look something up, you had to go to the World Book Encyclopedia, or you had to go to Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, you had one of the two usually in your homes, and they'd sell these sets. Every year you'd get a little update, you know, the update book. And then we had the child craft books. You remember all that? You older adults, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Okay, yeah, there you go. i got to see, see a few hands in here. But this is how we did it. This is how we checked to see if the information we had was correct. It wasn't no instantaneous thing. It took hours, maybe days, to get your facts. In fact, when I was in high school, my sister was attending the University of South Carolina in Columbia. Go Gamecocks, you know. Okay. My sister was attending there, and I would be attending soon, but I was still in high school. Well, my sister got me into to the USC library. 
That thing is overwhelming if you've never been in there before. One or two stories above the ground, and it's like five down. Kind of creepy, if you be honest with you. But I would go there. My sister got me in, and I, did, I was doing a paper on the Titanic. Well, everybody's kind of fresh up on the Titanic right now because of what's been going on the last few weeks. I was fascinated by that thing. And so I went there, and I did my research on the Titanic. And I went downstairs a few levels, and I actually got to look at actual newspapers from 1912. Open them things up and look at them. And what I couldn't find in actual articles, they had something called microfilm. You'd get in there, and you could look at it, and you could blow the article up, and you could read them. That's how I did it. But listen, that took days. There was none of this, yep, got my information right here, get my sources. No, it wasn't none of that. It was days and days and sometimes hours of work looking up that stuff. Did you know that the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures was fact-checked? Did you know that? Let's look at it today. Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be. If you're following along in the outline, I made you a little outline in the bulletin. Thank you guys for putting that in there. Uh, point number one is this, the context. So let me give you a little bit of context before we get into the passage so that you understand what's going on. As you find your place right in there, what you're going to find out that uh, as of around Acts chapter 15, somewhere around verse 36, Paul is already on his second missionary journey. So he's traveling along, and he's in the second journey. And by chapter 16, one of my favorite chapters in the scriptures, uh, Paul has received a vision, what he called the Macedonian vision, and they are headed off in that direction. So they're headed to Philippi, and right there when they get into Philippi, you have two of the great stories about people that come to faith in Christ. You have Lydia, the seller of purple fabrics. Her and her household get saved. And then shortly after that, they are ministering and... Young girls kind of taunting them. They get the demon out of her. Um, and their owner, her owners or leaders or whatever you want to call them, the people that were using her for their benefit, uh, they threw Paul and Silas in jail. Paul and Silas are not complaining. They're praising God. As a result, jail doors are open, but nobody leaves. Jailer freaks out. Let's just say it that way. Um, and as a result, they come out because they haven't left. The jailer gets saved. He walks in and says, what must I do to be saved? And so the jailer and his household are saved. That's Acts chapter 16. At the start of chapter 17, you can see point number two there, the conflict. The conflict. Follow along as I read verses 1 through 5 here so you can get a little bit more context. Chapter 17. Now, when they had traveled through and I'm, I'm getting ready to butcher this name. All right. I look at it and I go, and they travel through Amphibious and Apollo Creed. No, I'm just kidding. It says Amphipolis, Amphipolis, Amphipolis. There we go. Something like that. And Apollonia. Okay. I told you I'm going to butcher them. Okay. I always get these names wrong. But they're in these two areas. You get the idea. They came to Thessalonica. I can pronounce that one. All right. They came to Thessalonica. Well, there was a synagogue. I think I can pronounce it. There was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to, to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. 
explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying this, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. So you see that uh, these folks, as we get into the, the text, and we're not actually at the, at the actual text yet, you see this conflict that is arriving here. They've made it to Thessalonica. Paul's custom was to go to his brethren first, to the Jews. You see that a lot in Paul's, in Paul's uh, journeys. He would reach out to his brothers, his fellow Israelites, his fe- fellow Jews. And again, he's done that in this context. But the Jews aren't happy. They don't like what he's doing. It is all against everything that they've ever been taught unless they would understand everything that they have been taught points to the Savior that Paul is talking about. But they don't get it. They don't see it. Therefore, they are mad. So, jump to verse 10. These guys have uh, stirred up trouble for them. I want you to take note of something here. Um, Let me flip over to the next page. This is getting ready to get into the main text of what I'm going to talk about. And you're going to notice how Paul deals with this and what goes on. I want you to see this. This is important. Since we're getting into the main text, let's just take a moment and pray right now. Lord, I just pray that as we get into this time, you would open eyes to see. And not only see, but that we would hear from you. And God, that we would prove ourselves to be doers of the word that we see and hear today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want you to see here next is number three as we get into the, to the, the meat of the passage, the contrast. Okay, Verse 10 says, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So what is Paul doing? He's doing the same thing he did previously. He's going back into the synagogues. He's reasoning with the Jews. All right? But look at the difference here. Verse 11. There's a contrast here. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. So so what what is he getting at? The, the, the New Testament or the New American Standard calls it noble-minded, it means that these people were receptive. Whereas versus the the Jews in Thessalonica, they weren't open to it. But these Jews, and specifically right now he's he's speaking to the Jews, these Jews, it says, they were open-minded. They were receptive to what what Paul was talking about. And And actually they were eager, as you're getting ready to see. They were open to it. Look at number four, the contentment. Now, before I get into that, what was Paul's focus here? I want you to think for a moment. What was the focus of what Paul was doing? 
one word, the gospel. That's what Paul was interested in. He was interested in them hearing the gospel and what had happened in his own life. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So it's only natural to him that he would want to go and try to reach his brethren. Wherever he went, he went to these Jews. But you'll also see that within that crowd, there was always Gentiles or Greeks and others that were there. You'll see that. All right? Verse 11, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Then you see something on the next on your outline there says the contentment. In the middle of verse 11, it says this, for they received the word with great eagerness. What a contrast. That is a huge contrast between what the Jews over in Thessalonica did and now these Jews are doing here. These folks wanted to hear it. These folks wanted to know what Paul was saying, and they were eager to find out. Okay? Then, next to the title point, this, and I call it the title point, is called the concern. I want you to see the concern. They didn't just want to hear what Paul had to say. Here's where it gets good, guys. Look at the bottom part of verse 11. It says here, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They searched. They investigated. They didn't just take him at his word. Now keep that in mind as we go along because I'm going to come back to that thought in just a second. Now understand something. What were they searching? What were they searching at this point? There is no New Testament. The New Testament is live. It's going on right now. So what did they search? They searched the Old Testament, the Scriptures, what they had. What were they finding? How would they fact check Paul? Well, I can imagine. We don't know exactly what they were looking at, but I can imagine they probably went to Isaiah 53. They probably went to the early part of Genesis. Maybe around Genesis 22 also. They, I'm sure they probably read some of the Psalms. They're going, okay, Paul said this. Is that right? And they go, well, the Scripture does say it. Everything we can see. And listen, it wasn't like they were scrolling through their phone. They didn't have no phone, obviously. Okay? They didn't have a Bible like you have in front of you. They had papyrus or scrolls. Okay? You know what I found out? I went to Israel a few years back most awesome trip I've ever been on. You need to go if you've never been. I know Pastor Robert Shaw for years did that. You need to jump on board when somebody's going and go see it. Unbelievable brings the Bible to life. Absolutely amazing. But one of the things I learned is that those scrolls, they weren't just them, you know, you open it up and read a little section. No, those things could be up to 35 feet long, each one of them. 35 feet long. So, I mean, they weren't, they're fact-checking Paul you know, <laughs> grab that scroll over there, man. What's this thing say? You know, they is it in that one? You know, they're looking. They're trying to find out. They're looking to see what the scroll said or what the other scri- uh, scriptures said. They wanted to know what Paul was talking about. And they wanted to know if it was true. In a simple way, you know what they were doing? They were doing a little bit of hermeneutics. You know what hermeneutics is? That's 
It's interpretation and application of Scripture. In other words, you're getting the right information and checking to see if what that person is telling you is actually accurate to what is written in the Scriptures. So they were doing some early form of hermeneutics, if you will. The conclusion. What's the conclusion then? Look at verse 12. Many of them, therefore, believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Now, I want you to just hold your finger there at verse 12, and I want you to take a moment and look back over to verse 4. Look at the contrast or the comparison between the two. It says in verse 4, now they're in Thessalonica in verse 4. It says, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul. Some were persuaded and joined Paul. And a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks um, also and leading women. Back over to verse 12. Now some of them were the Jews. Now look at verse 12. Many of them. Many of them, therefore, believed, along with a number of prominent women and men. So Paul is really beginning to make some headway with the Jews in that area. And so he is he's moving along, and he's really gaining some ground. I want you to see next the carryover, verse 7. Okay, the carryover, or, yeah, verse 13, excuse me, the carryover. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea, also they came there likewise, agitating and stirring up the crowd. So to get the idea here, they're in Thessalonica. They didn't like what Paul said. They ran him out of town is what they did. The Jews ran him out of town. He gets over to Berea. He starts preaching the same thing. These people are very interested in it. They want to hear it. They're eager to know. They're fact-checking Paul, see if what he says is right. And the Jews in Thessalonica go, oh, wait, we just heard that Paul's over there doing the same thing he did here. Uh-uh, uh-uh, that ain't happening. And what do they do? They take off. And they go to Thessalonica, and this is what you have here. The Jews of Thessalonica have come over. And now they're giving Paul trouble, and they're going to run him out of town here too. They're going to run him out of town because they don't like what he's doing. But did that stop Paul? Nope. Nope. I want you to see next the continuation. Verse 15. Okay, verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 says, And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. All right? So in other words, those who escorted Paul, Paul told them, I need for you to go back and get uh, um, uh, Silas and Timothy for me. And so they went back. So Paul, I'm going to add a verse here to it. Paul, verse 16, Paul's going, okay, so he stops in Athens. And he's looking around in Athens. And the scripture, look at it, verse 16. It says that his spirit within him got a hold of him. And he looked at all the idols that the people of Athens were worshiping. And I can just imagine Paul's like, mm, I'm getting ready to get my preach on right here because I see a whole lot of stuff I can talk about. And Paul is getting ready to launch off. And we're not going to go there today. But Paul's getting ready to launch off into his famous sermon at Mars Hill. 
That's what you would read if we read later on in there. But we're not going to go there. He, he's going to jump off into that. He's going to talk about all that he sees in front of them. And he does a great job of doing an analogy of where the people are at and brings them right up to the gospel. Man, what a great way to draw people from something that they know to something that they don't know about. We see that a number of times in Scripture, actually. Bringing people from what they know to what they don't know. Paul's doing it. He does a great job of it right here in Acts chapter 17. But I want you to see one more thing. The comparison. Now, we've made our way through the text. I finished up technically at verse 15. We looked at verse 16. But I want you to see something here as I wrap this up. Paul has clearly been preaching the gospel that is the focal point of what Paul is doing here this morning, or in this, in this text. But later on, I just want to make a quick comparison here. Later on, Paul would encourage believers to do something. It's called fact-checking. That's what I've been talking to you about this morning. And he would do it in two different ways. I want you to see this. So I want you to quickly flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is another one of my favorites, but I want you to see this. I can't dive in this this morning. I'm just going to kind of skim over it, but I want you to see this. So people were fact-checking Paul back in Acts concerning what he was saying about the Old Testament, this gospel that they're, they're struggling to understand, except for the Bereans, Bereans they're, they're eager for it, okay, and they're fact-checking him, all right? But you get over here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And what's going on here, let's, let's just read it for context, okay? Chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, and during hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is encouraging young Timothy, okay? He's encouraging young Timothy to stay the course and to help him. Because, it, listen guys, think about it. As much as we have some crazy stuff out there today, Paul's already telling Timothy, you better be careful and you need to encourage the believers that they need to be very, very careful of who they listen to. Because there's already people out there that are teaching stuff that does not line up with what we're teaching you. It was happening all the way back then. Guys, listen, we don't, we don't have any problem seeing that. If you spend any time on social media, Facebook, Instagram, you name them, all the ones. I, I can't even keep up with how many of them there are now. There's so many of them. But if you just take a moment and look out there, tell me there ain't some wacky theology going on. There is a lot of wacky theology. Now, there's some good stuff out there. I like some of the stuff people post. But, guys, listen. Don't don't just take what you see on social media and go, that sounds great. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's biblical right there. 
If it's not grounded in the scriptures, you better start fact-checking. You really need to. Because stuff that sounds good might not be biblical at all. It might just sound good, but it might not be biblical. There's a lot of stuff out there, guys. A lot of stuff. These people in 2 Timothy chapter 4, they wanted to have their ears tickled. That's what the scripture says. They wanted to have their ears tickled. And so they assembled for people. They assembled leaders and teachers together with them so that they could hear what they wanted to. You see, they got the, they got the people that they wanted to hear to. You know, they ain't going to step on my toes too much. You know, they're going to hear, they're going to make me feel good when I leave. That's not always the point of Scripture. Sometimes it does build us up and encourage us. But sometimes, man, Scripture can poke you in the chest and say, yeah, you. This is you. This is what the Word says, and there's no compromise here. Second Timothy, uh, Second Peter chapter 3. I want you to see the second one real quick. Flip over there real quick. Second Peter chapter 3. Excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1. I said that wrong. Second Peter chapter 1. At the end of 1, I'm going I'm to read those two verses to you. Jump over the last two verses, 20 and 21. I want you to hear this first, beginning in verse 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon them. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. That word can also be translated blasphemed. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a terrible aversion from what the Scripture actually says, and they're twisting it, and they're not using it in the right way. Verse 3, And in their greed they will exploit you with the false words, their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So you can see that Paul is telling believers now, you need to be careful about who you are listening to. And know and understand that they're teaching you truth. In other words, what is he saying? Be a fact checker, folks. Be a fact checker. Don't just take it. Now listen, you youth that are here, your youth leaders... Your pastors, hopefully you're in a solid church and you are trusting what they say. You should be able to trust them. What I'm talking about is those people out there in the world that maybe you don't know a whole lot about, but they sound really good. All I'm saying, folks, is be careful. Be careful what you say. Man, that sounds good and apply it to my life without taking the time to look and see what the Scripture says. Guys, listen, we, we got it right in front of us. It's so easy to fact check. Just pick it up and look for yourself. Is that what he said? Oh, okay, yeah, it is in here. Or no, it's not. Okay, that thing you need to lay aside. Listen, my daughter and my son, I don't need to name the place they went. They went to a school, great conservative school, Christian school. But not every single person that taught them taught everything that was entirely accurate. Now, my kids have learned and grown, and they've let their faith become their own. And they learn to, when they hear something, they would just say, mm, no, I 
I don't necessarily agree with that. We're just going to lay that aside. Maybe I need to regurgitate that on a test for information to get my grade, but it doesn't mean that I have to full-on believe in it. And that's what my kids learn to do. We all have to do that, do we not? Man, we might glean some stuff from people that we don't totally agree with. There's still some good nuggets in there that we can agree with on, but we need to understand and know the Scripture so that we know what we need to lay aside and what we can say, okay, yeah, I'm with you, brother, on that one. Yeah, I agree with you. I want you to see something interesting as I wrap up here today. Back to verse 20 and 21 in chapter 1. Both Paul and Peter, Peter did the second Peter, obviously. Paul did the, 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 the other passage in Second Timothy. I want you to see something. Before they even talked about the people that would tickle their ears or try to teach them false doctrines, before they even did that, they preceded that with the sufficiency of what Scripture really is, the, the all-sufficiency of Scripture. Peter, right here, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit of God, spoke. So Peter is telling them, our authority is Scripture. And number two, he's telling this is a great passage for hermeneutics, by the way. He, Peter's telling them, it's not up for our interpretation. We need to look and see what the Scriptures say. We need to keep it within the context. We need to see what was going on that time. Why would he make the statement like he made? That's called hermeneutics. It's not up for interpretation. Men were moved, but God's Word has that intended interpretation that we need to get to. Same thing happened over in 2 Timothy. We looked at verses 1 through 4, chapter 4, but look at 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. It's everything we need, guys. Everything that we need. So as I wrap up today, I'm going to finish up right here real quick. I want you to just listen to this old youth pastor for a moment. Do you just believe that every, everything you hear is truth? Or are you a fact checker? As I said before, there's a lot of wacky theology out there. But guys, there's one thing that's not wacky according to Scripture, and that is the gospel. The gospel is very clear. The gospel is very clear in the Scriptures. It's non-negotiable too. Listen, if somebody teaches you there's another way to get to heaven besides a life that is surrendered in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ and Him only, you better fact check them. If they're telling you anything other than that, because that's very simple. In fact, it's backed up with Scripture. The Scripture, and listen, guys, if you are here this morning and you know you've never done that, you've never surrendered your life to Christ in faith and repentance, listen, I'll, I'll stick around. I'll talk to you. You teenagers that are here, go to your youth pastor, your leaders. Ask them. It's that important that you know those things. It's important that you know where you're going when this life is over. Or should Jesus return before this life ends? Very, very important. Be a fact checker, guys. There's only one way to get to heaven. That's through a relationship with Jesus Christ, a surrendered life of faith and repentance. Guys, don't, don't, just, don't just rely on a prayer that you prayed or that you got baptized years ago. Paul said if there's no change in your life, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if there's no change in your life, you really need to go back and look at what happened to you. 
Because Paul says when we get saved, things change for us. It's that important. A life that is relying on that, relying on the truth of what Scripture says, you can be confident that you're believing in what you should be believing. If you're a believer here, and someone says something that makes you go, is that true? Then you need to be a fact checker. You need to search the Scriptures as best you can and check it out. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you.